The scripture this morning is Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. If everybody could stand for the reading of God's word. It says, and do this understanding. (coughs) Let me start again. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Um, Just uh, a quick reminder, ladies, uh, there will be flowers for you on the way out today. There will be people at the doors, so um, we want you to take a couple of those on your way out today as our gift to you. The beginning of this passage, and we spent uh, a few weeks on this, talks about in verse 8 of Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So really, everything that comes after that, I think, is instruction about what it means to love one another. Um, and in, in the passage that uh, Dean shared today, it talks about light and dark and the deeds of darkness and the deeds of light. Um, I think we all know that some of God's creatures are active at night and we call them nocturnal. And because of that, God has built into them special adaptations for operating in darkness. One example of that is sight. Nocturnal animals have three main adaptations regarding sight. The first is large eyes. Large eyes with a wider pupil that can collect more ambient light. In fact, you've probably all seen pictures of owls and their eyes look really big. In fact, their eyes don't even move in their heads. That's why their heads move so far. The second adaptation... uh, is that of plentiful rod cells. There are two main types of vision cells, rods which collect, which sense light, and cones which sense color. You guys don't mind a little biology lesson today, do you? That was kind of my thing, so I like to throw it in once in a while. Uh, so two, two main types of vision cells, rods which sense light and cones which sense color. So a nocturnal animal's retinas are cons- composed almost entirely of rod cells. This, al- this allows animals to see much better in the dark at the expense of seeing color. The third is called tapetum lucidum, which means bright carpet. This is a layer of cells beneath the retina that acts like a mirror reflecting light back into the rod cells. It's because of this that a nocturnal animal's eyes seem to glow in the dark. You've seen that, haven't you? 
when we lived on the coast, and uh, we would come over the coast range, maybe from Portland. We'd been in, in Portland in the day visiting our daughter. Um, we liked to come home after the traffic, uh, after rush hour. So we'd wait, we'd wait till night. But you had to be real careful coming home over Highway 6 at night time because elk, there were elk. Um, Roosevelt elk, not the Rocky Mountains like we have here. But I always watched very carefully for those glowing eyes at the side of the road when I came home over Highway 6 at night. And it was because of this adaptation that the elk had which allowed them to see better at night than I could. Animals that are active in the daytime do not have these adaptations that nocturnal animals possess. That would include us, human beings, who are created by God to be creatures of the daytime, creatures of the light instead of the dark. And so Paul uses the image of light and darkness to contrast good and evil, Good deeds and what he calls dark deeds. Light is associated with good. Darkness is associated with evil. And because mankind was created to be a creature of the daytime or of the light, our deeds or behavior should be decent or good, not the evil deeds which are characterized by night or darkness. Make sense? And now you can go home and tell your friends about rods and cones. You want to know about what? Oh, never mind. So, Paul says we're to be done with the, be done doing dark deeds. Um, This passage, verses 12 and 13 in the New Living Translation of Romans chapter 13, Sounds like this. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-14, through Paul writes this, using some similar language, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, in the dark. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Night is the time when people indulge their passions, when thieves and other criminals do their work. Paul reminds us in this passage that the day of the Lord is near. In fact, Paul thought it was going to happen any time. He thought Jesus would be back any day. So if the day of the Lord is near was appropriate in the time Paul lived, it's certainly more appropriate for us 
2,000 plus years down the road. Paul reminds us that the day of the Lord is near, which should motivate us to put away the kinds of behavior associated with the night of this present evil age. He tells us, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Kind of an interesting picture, isn't it? The works of darkness are the works which men do under the cover of darkness and want to keep secret. They are sins. They are sins that we want hidden. They are sins we know are unacceptable. They know they are th- th- those are things that will cause us sh- shame. And actually, Paul gets very specific here and mentions three pairs of unacceptable behaviors, three sets of sins. And if you claim to be a Christian, these things will not be a part of your life or should not be a part of your life. And you don't refrain from doing these things to be saved, but because you are saved, you don't do these things. And so first listed are what we might call public sins, orgies and drunkenness. Now here's how Webster defines orgy. Because I always kind of had a certain picture in my mind of what an orgy was. Webster says an orgy is drunken revelry and excessive indulgence in an activity. So it seems that these two things that Paul says, orgies and drunkenness, these two things, orgies and drunkenness, tend to be closely connected. We live in a culture that puts some sort of misplaced value on a really good party. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of our colleges and universities have reputations for being party schools. The wilder, the better. Um, Reminds me, The last time I got an invitation to a high school reunion, and I've never been to one of my high school reunions. I I go to my college reunions. I haven't been to one of my high school reunions for a number of reasons. But I remember in the invitation it said, our class had a reputation for being wild partiers. And the encouragement was to get together so we could maintain that reputation. Anyway, uh, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened. So the wilder the better. And, And Webster's definition generally fits these parties. Drunken revelry and excessive indulgence in an activity. And the excessive indulgence in alcohol consumption is almost a given at these parties or orgies. But there are other excessive indulgences that go along with these orgies as well, such as sometimes it's about drug use. Sometimes it's about sexual activity. Sometimes it's just plain stupid and sometimes dangerous behavior. And the more of these things there are, the better better the party is judged to be. Paul says that orgies are deeds of darkness something a follower of Christ should not participate in. You know, 
It's entirely possible to have fun without a hangover. Or regret what you did while you were drunk or high. Or wondering about that dent in your car because you can't remember how it got there. So orgies and drunkenness. He kind of separates the two, although we know that orgies may include that. In Micah chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for these people. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a prophet that we would like to hear from in our culture. Several times in the Bible, um, it's indicated that drunkenness is a sin. And I'm not going to read these for you, but I'm going to give you some references. All right? 1 Corinthians 6.10. 1 Corinthians 6.10. Galatians 5.21. It's usually these, where drunkenness is mentioned, it's usually in... uh, in a list of sins that Paul is uh, decrying. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.10, Galatians 5.21, Ephesians 5.18, Peter 4, 1 Peter 4.3. 1 Corinthians 6.10, Galatians 5.21, Ephesians 5.18, 1 Peter 4.3. I've always thought, you know, if I just... Couldn't come up with good ideas for a sermon. I just read extensive passages of Scripture. But I think I've got enough to say that I'm going to have to do that. So you'll have to look those up yourself today. Proverbs 2.20 says this. Proverbs 2.20 Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. You are intoxicated any time you consume alcohol that causes you to act think, or speak differently than you would have had you not consumed that alcohol. The drunk husband snuck up the stairs quietly. He looked in the bathroom mirror and bandaged the bumps and bruises he'd received in a fight earlier that night. He then proceeded to climb into bed, smiling at the thought that he'd pulled one over on his wife again. When morning came, he opened his eyes and there stood his wife. You were drunk last night, weren't you? No, honey. Well, if you weren't, then who put all those band-aids on the bathroom mirror? (laughs) People who are drunk are not in their right mind. Because of that, they can say and do things they might never say or do when sober. And they can be dangerous to themselves and to others. And drunkenness is not something that only affects the drunk person. Some of you here today have dealt with the impact of alcoholism in your families. You know how harmful drunkenness can be. There was an incident when I was in high school. You know, it was one... One of these party things, and you know, it was always a big deal to drink. And 
these guys weren't friends of mine, but they were acquaintances, and they got smashed at the high at, at this party. And uh, they were driving out in the country. Something happened. It was a single car accident, a rollover. And uh, both were very intoxicated, and one was bleeding badly, and the other was uninjured, but he was so drunk that he didn't realize the danger that his friend was in, so he crawled into the ditch and fell asleep, and his friend bled to death while he slept. Drunkenness can be dangerous. I read a statistic, um, I think it was on an, in an article I was reading online, and you, you, you've been seeing a little more about a sexual assault in the military lately. It said, um, this statistic said there's, there was a 38% increase in sexual assaults in the military in, last year in 2018, and the majority of those involved alcohol. So you don't have to think very long and hard to understand why drunkenness is a sin. It's a deed of darkness that is not supposed to be a part of our lives as Christ's followers. Then Paul goes on to cite two more sins. I would call these private sins, sexual immorality and what he calls debauchery. Now I think it's interesting in the King James Version and American Standard Version, that the word used here that we see translated in the NIV and many of the other translations as sexual immorality, the word used in the King James and American Standard Version is chambering. Hmm? Think about that word for a moment. In the days when the King James Version was written, the bedroom was called the bedchamber. So if you were chambering, you were engaging in sexual behavior outside the bounds of the one chamber where sexual activity is biblically allowable, and that is in what we would maybe call the marriage chamber. Now in the versions that tend to use more modern language, the words used are either sexual promiscuity or sexual immorality. And these terms in the Greek really include all forms of uh, sexual activity that God would say is sin. It, it can be premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, pornography. It covers them all. You all know what a classified document is? Okay? It's a document... Uh, excuse me, a declassified document. Do you know what a declassified document is? Okay, it's a, it's a document that was once classified secret, but that is now open to public examination. It's been declassified. Well, I would tell you that much of sexual sin in our culture has been declassified. God called it sin, but we've declassified it. What was once called sin has now become acceptable. And the determiner, I think, or the determiners have become this. Well, if enough people do it, it must be okay. Or, 
If society approves, it must be okay. And frankly, we've passed some laws in recent years that have given approval to what God would call sexual sin. But I tell you today that God has not changed His mind. God has not declassified sexual sin just because we have decided to change the rules. The other word Paul uses here with sexual promiscuity is debauchery. And it means the kind of personal activity that should cause you shame, but it doesn't. I remind you of the orgy. People will indulge in sinful excesses and instead of being ashamed will brag about their exploits. People can become so insensitive to sin that when they do shameful things, it doesn't bother them anymore. And part of that process is, a, is an intentional process by the enemy of our souls to desensitize us to those things. And a lot of that happens through media of different kinds. Through movies, through stories we read, through things we see on the internet, the music we listen to, all the desensitization process. And what it does then, the whole idea is to make those things acceptable to us. We don't look at them as something that's sin anymore. So we don't have much of a problem with drunkenness unless you drive drunk and hurt someone else and then we might have a problem with it. And think about how bad it has become in America when it comes to sexual immorality and how we've gotten used to it. Frankly, in our culture, just about anything goes. And rather than being embarrassed or ashamed by these things, we justify them. We talk about how normal and acceptable these behaviors are. And we even encourage what we call sexual exploitation. Uh, yeah, exploration. Not exploitation, but exploration. Explore. And Paul says, those are deeds of darkness like, that like dirty clothes need to be taken off. And then the last two we might call personality sins or maybe relational sins. The dissension and jealousy. And again, depending on the version that you're reading, the words might be a little different there. Dissension can include the spreading of gossip and rumors. It can include complaining or dissatisfaction that is shared with others with the goal of gaining support. In other words, I'm mad and I want you to be mad with me. You know what I'm saying? It happens in churches. Church splits have happened over stuff like that. I'm unhappy and I want people to know about it. And it's dissension can be any kind of behavior that serves as a wedge to drive people apart. It's about taking sides. And it's a sin that can lead to division, to schism, to church splits, to the breaking of friendships. And isn't it 
Isn't it interesting that the Bible calls for the very opposite of that? The Bible calls us to unity and peace, not dissension and the discord that it causes. And then with that, Paul talks about jealousy. And one commentator says, we need to recognize that jealousy is rooted in immature and selfish desires. And Paul wrote, when you are jealous of one another and divide into quarreling groups, doesn't that prove you are still babies wanting your own way? In fact, you are acting like people who don't belong to the Lord at all. Well, that's not an indictment that we want on God's people. And I think there are two words that we often associate with jealousy, and they are envy and resentment. In fact, sometimes we'll use the terms envy and jealousy interchangeably. Envy and resentment. It's about what you have and I don't. Or about what you can do and I can't. Or the recognition you got and I didn't. And the list goes on. And I'm envious. And I'm resentful towards you. And that impacts how I approach and interact with you. That is, if I'm willing to interact with you at all. And like dissension... Jealousy and envy and resentment can be divisive and destructive in individual relationships and in the body of Christ. And they are deeds of darkness that need to be removed from our lives. C.S. Lewis wrote about these things that we just talked about, and he said this, We are all half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when God offers us infinite joy. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by God's offer of a free luxury cruise at sea. We are far too easily pleased when we settle for the things that this passage tells us, we're to take off like dirty clothes because they're the deeds of darkness. So you would think that it would be fairly obvious that those who bear the name of Jesus should not participate in these things. Why they should not do so may not be quite as obvious to us. See, these things all relate to what we might be call walking, what we might call walking properly or walking becomingly. The meaning of this is that other, the, the reason Paul talks about this is because he's saying as we walk this way, other people are watching us. And if we walk and, and they're, we're dressed in the deeds of darkness, that says something about us to a watching world, right? If we're claiming to be a Christian, but we're wearing those dirty clothes that are significant of the deeds of darkness, what does that say about Christianity and our walk with Jesus? So we... The way we walk should speak to others that our relationship with Jesus is something that makes a difference in our lives 
and controls the way we act and speak and think. We have to have a strong concern that the righteousness of our walk is such that it brings honor to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.34 it says, Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. He's talking to people in the church. And he's looking at the way they live. In other words, the way such people are going, or the way that a watching world is going to come to God is by observing in many cases the righteous behavior of those who claim the name of Jesus. So what's the solution then if we're struggling with these deeds of darkness? Maybe those things are part of my life. I want you to turn to this passage of Scripture with me. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. And I love this passage because of what it says right at the end. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So he's listing some things now that would be considered wicked. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that, here's the part I love. (laughs) And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, and you are different now. That's what Paul's saying. That's our hope, folks. That's what Jesus is the one who cleans us up. Jesus is the one who helps us remove the dirty clothes that are the deeds of darkness. And live in a way that's pleasing to Him. In fact, Paul, uh, in our passage today in Romans, tells us that we're to get dressed. Rather, in verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Get dressed. Get dressed in the right way. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's how we're supposed to be dressed. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certain that most of us at least give some thought to the way we're going to look when we come to church. Um, while Julie was getting ready today, I was laying out the stuff that I was going to wear. I thought, you know... I've learned a lot over the years. You know, I lived in a house full of women. And I heard this a lot. You know, you're not going dressed like that, are you? What? So, how'd I do today? You know, I've got the light gray and the dark. Okay? So, I was thinking... But, but we tend to think about how we look, how we're dressed. 
Well, putting on Christ is a matter of knowing what He looks like. Of spending so much time getting to know Him. And you do that by by being in His Word and worshiping Him and, and in prayer. That you begin to take on His appearance. It, it, it's, it's growing in maturity. It's looking more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, there's two things we need to put on. First of all, we need to put on the protection of Christ. The armor of light. What is the armor of light? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There he mentions things that we're supposed to put on. The armor of light. Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, he expands upon this idea, the armor of light. He says, therefore, in chapter 6, verses 13 through 17, of Ephesians, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which which is the Word of God. Folks, that is our protection. And by the way, you've probably heard this before, but there's nothing to protect your back. So if you're running away from the fight, you could get shot in the back. That's why Paul tells us to stand. Because here's the armor. The armor of light protects us here. In general, light can represent the life of God that we receive when we respond to God's invitation to do life with Him. It is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us when we put our trust in Jesus for our life and receive His forgiveness. The reality is God Himself has come to us and changed us and He is alive in us making our spirits alive in Him. That is the armor of light. It is Christ in us. And then He tells us to put on the character of Christ. You notice that Paul says, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it on yourself. In other words, it's not something that Jesus is going to do, come to you and say, here, let me dress you. We have to choose this. I want to put this on. I want this as my apparel. We have a choice in the matter. Jesus is saying, I want you to 
choose to put me on, to be clothed and covered in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 12-14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, there's that same language, with compassion. These are all character qualities of Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one, with one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Adoniram Judson once said this, A life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. The same may be said of each day, When it is once passed, it is gone forever. All the marks which we put upon it, it will exhibit forever. Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but will affect our everlasting destiny. How how shall we then wish to see each day marked with usefulness? It is too late to mend the days that are past. The future is in our power. Let us then, each morning, resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb, being clothed in Jesus Christ, as we shall wish it to wear forever. And at night, let us reflect that one day is irrevocably gone, indelibly marked. And depending on how we've clothed ourselves, will determine how each day of our lives is marked. Amen? Put away the dirty deeds of darkness. Clothe yourselves in the armor of light and the character of Jesus Christ. Pray with me as we close today. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can wear the armor of light, that we can be clothed in the character of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about Jesus being seen in us. It is Christ in us. And Father, we live in a world that encourages us really in many ways to the dark side, (laughs) to the deeds of darkness. We've given an acceptability to that. We've given our seal of approval to things, God, that you would never approve of. Help us, Father, to stand and live by the truth of your word. And when people look at us and the things we say, and the, th- and the way we live and the actions we do, may they see in us light, life, Jesus Himself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attentiveness. Again, ladies, happy Mother's Day. And there are flowers for you on the way out today. God bless you as you go.